I love the men of Monument Church. Can I say that without it being weird? I do. God has put incredible men and fathers in Monument Church. And the fathers aren't the only ones, and they're not even the most important ones, because we partner with our wives and with the women of this church to, to lead and guide this church. Amen. But dads are so important at Monument Church. And of course, as it would be on Father's Day, I want to just spend a moment charging the dads, thanking the dads, celebrating fatherhood as we continue to try to emulate our Father in heaven. And I've been actually praying about this for some weeks. We finished our Daniel series uh, last week, and next week we're starting a series that is just going to focus on one chapter of the Bible for 10 weeks. Don't miss it. It's going to be incredible. I mean, I am so excited for this one chapter of the Bible and all we're going to draw out of it. We're going to take 10 weeks and we're going to go line by line, like three to five verses at a time. It's going to be powerful. I'm not going to tell you which chapter, though. <laughs> no, it's going to be Romans 8. And it's going to be about how the Spirit of God gives life and peace. Don't we need life and peace during this time? That comes up over and over in various ways in a huge celebration. So look forward to that, which starts with Travis next week. But actually, today is just a bit of a one-off. And it's something that is kind of burning in me. And it's actually out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I want to just kind of set this up before we read it. Um, Paul, the apostle, is writing to the Thessalonians. And he's writing to actually see how they're doing. Uh, and, and actually, he sent Timothy to see how they were doing. He sent them to check on their faith, basically. Isn't that interesting? To do a little bit of a diagnostic on their faith. And I'll tell you a little bit more about why as we get into it, but let's just look at these few verses of Scripture. Paul says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 through 6, We sent him, Timothy, to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, as they did. As you well know, that is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. Isn't that amazing? Paul sends Timothy to check on the strength of their faith. Because Paul is concerned that it has weakened, I guess you could say, because of the troubles that they have experienced. I just want to ask you, not just the, the men or the fathers in this room, but all of you, has your faith weakened because of the troubles that you've experienced recently? I know many feel a bit of a sense of, of weakness. According to Paul, in a sense, that would actually be understandable if it did. He imagines that these things that they're going through might compromise the Thessalonians' faith. So let's just look. What, what were the Thessalonians dealing with at that time that made him so concerned? 
You know, I mean, why was he on high alert even sending Timothy? And it's not like, hey, Timothy, just go drive down the road. This is actually a, a voyage that he had to take to Thessalonica in order to determine how they were doing. And history tells us that the Christians in Thessalonica were actually being persecuted. Property was being seized. Imagine that. Your house, no longer your house, your car. This is what was happening to the Christians there. Property was seized. Workers were stopped from practicing their trades. Those who found new faith in Christ were shunned by their families. Some were insulted, some were beaten, and some were put to death. They were experiencing suffering of the worst kind. And so it's not hard to imagine why Paul thought they might weaken in their faith. Well, of course they would. Who can deal with those kinds of things and just be like, no, we're good. God's got us. So he suspected that that would be true of them. And, and the thing is, one of the things I think we see in this short passage is that we need to be sober about the fact that faith can weaken. Why would Paul be concerned about that if faith couldn't weaken? Faith can weaken. We've got to be alert. But the thing I love is he sends Timothy to check, and when Timothy comes back, it's good news, Paul says. Do you wonder what he found? Like, what did Timothy see that convinced Paul that their faith was strong? What did that look like? How do, how do you measure that? Did he have like a hundred-point checklist? What was it that he found? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what he said, but like, Paul, you wouldn't believe how they've thrived during all of this craziness that they're experiencing. You know what they're going through, but you wouldn't believe the strength of their faith and love. They continue to gather and serve each other and serve the community around them. They celebrate their new life in Christ as if nothing is happening and they feel God with them. I don't know what Timothy said, but maybe the good news sounded something like that. They're generous to everyone, Paul. They just overflow with joy and peace. Oh, the incredible peace they have in the midst of so much trouble. I don't know what Timothy said to Paul, but Paul was elated. And how did they maintain that strength of faith when people were losing property and jobs and their their lives. How did they do that? What did they do to maintain this, this strength of faith such that Timothy came back with an unequivocally good report? Wouldn't they have become discouraged? Wouldn't they have disbanded or retreated or gone into hiding or something? I mean, couldn't that have been justifiable? But no, it seems. That's why we need to understand them. But, but so then how about this question? I turn to this one. What if, what if Paul sent Timothy here to Monument Church? I mean, I know they're both dead now, but just go with me on this one. What if Paul sent Timothy or, or someone came to check on the faith? Well, let's just say of, of the fathers of Monument Church. What would, what would he find? Would it be a good report? I think so, actually. I am incredibly encouraged by the faith of the men in this church. Not because everybody all the time always gets it right. That's not the measure. 
He didn't come and say, I evaluated each individual and here's a list and the score I gave them. He went, here's the atmosphere. Here's the ether of the church. And I think the men of this church, the fathers of this church, are strong in faith right now. We continue to have gone through all of the things that we have gone through in the world, in the church, in our personal lives, and we just keep showing up. That's, I think, what the Thessalonians must have done. They must have kept showing up. Otherwise, how would Timothy have evaluated how they were doing? They kept showing up. And when you've done all that you can do to stand, you just stand. And there is incredible power in that. I think our faith is strong, but guys, I think it could be stronger. If it can weaken and if it can get stronger, I actually feel like God is calling us into even more during this time. And I think even if we can assess that faith is strong, my second point is we have to recognize when faith is weak. See, because if we're not doing an honest evaluation, we go, you know what, I'm actually ebbing a little bit in faith. We won't know when to stand up and take notice and push in, right? We have to be able to, to recognize when faith is weak. I had a group of guys meet at my house on Tuesday night, and it was just so good we shared some of the difficulties that we're experiencing, the things that we're facing, and the discouragement that this has caused. Each guy had little things that were just, hey, I really need prayer for this. I think they were recognizing that faith had ebbed a little bit. We need that. In some cases, faith has, has really taken a blow with some of these guys. Maybe you've experienced that. Why does that happen? Well, it's interesting. Last week, we talked about the spiritual battle that we've been experiencing here at Monument. Do you remember that? If you were here last week, we talked about a couple of people that had strong impressions of what they both referred to independently as demonic meddling going on. And for some of us, it's like, yes, we're talking about the, the dark spiritual realm because that is real. And others are like, whoa, I don't even know about any of that stuff. And I've seen it go weird at times. And, and I don't want to make more of this than it deserves, but I also don't want to make less of it than it requires. And, and what's interesting, in this passage, Paul mentions it. Let's look at verse 5. As he considered their battle for strength and faith, he says this, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Well, once again, here it is. You start to realize that actually this is one significant component of maintaining strength of faith. That the tempter just gets in and starts to kind of very slowly, subtly unravel it. And you see that the tempter is referring to this very demonic meddling that we've been standing against here at Monument. I've been speaking to people over these last couple of weeks that they say, you know what, actually that's, that's a thing. I hadn't put a finger on it and I have never experienced this before in this way, but I think there's something to that. Well, Paul affirms that right here. He's, he's, he's sitting there and he's referring to all of the truth they preached and the example they were to the Thessalonians, right? He's saying, actually, I'm concerned that the tempter, that the devil or demonic forces had actually nullified that, that he made our work useless. Can you imagine that? Think of all of what you've grown in strength of faith. And Paul is saying, actually, there's some chance it could be made useless 
if the devil is allowed to run amok, if the demonic meddling is given its, its place. So we've got to be aware. It apparently happens. 2,000 years ago, it was a thing, and it is a thing today. Aren't you so glad we're eyes wide open about that? Don't you want to know what is at play and how we can combat these things? Well, this is not the only thing, but this is one of the things. We are experiencing our own troubles, so we can take a page out of this powerful book of Scripture. I just want to focus for a moment on what does that look like? What does the tempter do? What do we have to be on guard against? What did the Thessalonians seem to be able to actually stand strong in or, or rebuff? What were they able to combat? Well, my experience and what I've seen is, is the tempter isolates us from God in prayer. We recede in prayer. Like prayer just kind of moves down the priority list or we just forget or we just... And actually, I imagine... you got to imagine the Thessalonians remaining strong in the midst of losing property, losing their lives, losing everything. you got to know they were in prayer. And yet the tempter wants to come in and go, you don't... What does prayer do anyway? Is it really worth your time? Like you can't even see what happens. You pray and nothing happens. Does it really do anything? And I think the tempter isolates us actually from God in prayer. I think it isolates us from the word of truth. You know what's amazing to me is like we have such a gift in the word of truth, right? We have the whole canon of scripture now for 1,700 years, whatever it's been. They didn't have the New Testament. They had this one letter, the Thessalonians. That's what they had to hang on to. And then, of course, they had the oral history of Jesus and those stories and they had, they had preaching and they had teaching, but they, they didn't just have a book like the New Testament that we have now to sit with. And what a gift it is, but, but it's easy to take for granted. Do I really need to read it like every day? And I think the tempter actually isolates us from the word of truth. I got a name in from Francis. Yes, we must read it every day. And then the final thing is the tempter isolates us from the community of faith. I mean, they're gathering, but, you know, we can skip this one or, you know, a small group, I definitely will do it the next time it comes around. But actually, in those days, they had nothing else. Their families had abandoned them. They had no other community besides the community of faith. They didn't have social clubs that they could be a part of because they were basically had a target on their back because of what they believed. And they were desperately thrust into the community of faith. And, and so the isolation tactics of the tempter just wouldn't have worked. Or at least they didn't seem to here. Where I want to go with this is that actually right now their church was in a state of emergency. Wouldn't you say? Like, wouldn't you say that what they were experiencing was actually nothing less than an absolute emergency with them being killed, things being taken, them being under persecution? Like, that was an emergency. You know, it's interesting, just this last week, I came across this article and the headline read, the evangelical church faces a state of emergency. 
over the pandemic and politics. Do you ever look at it that way these days? See, the pandemic has, always, as we all know, isolated us from community. And actually, politics have divided us across the church. And because it's like the frog in the pot of boiling water, it just kind of happens slowly. I don't think we realize just how much of a, a state of emergency we were in. It was Andy Stanley who leads a 38,000 strong church who is saying there is a state of emergency because of the pandemic and politics. Last year, Gallup Poll reported that we reached a turning point since they started recording these statistics in 1937. For the first time in 80 years, that church membership among U.S. adults is less than half, isolating us from community. That's a key milestone. It started around 70%, and basically for the last 60 years, it's been at around 70%. It hasn't been in steady decline, you might think. It's actually only been in the last 20 years that it's gone like this. Like we have to be aware and alert Self-identified Christians now make up only 63% of the U.S. population. And 10 years ago, it was 75%. That's like drastic. Now you may say, well, those are like national stats. I mean, you know, and the statistics, like who knows. But, but actually, I've spoken to three people just in Monument in the last week that said many of the people they know no longer go to church. One woman said a longtime Christian friend of hers asked her why she goes to church anymore. Why do you go to church anymore? The tempter just isolates us from community. It's perfect. What a strategy. I can make a case that that's the same question as why do you follow Jesus anymore? Honestly. Because actually, Jesus is the head of the church. It is his body. And the reason we go, the answer is simple, is because this is the very body of Christ that we are members of and a part of. Fewer than half of U.S. adults pray daily. That may not surprise you, but actually that number only went down to below half five years ago. Before around 2017, over half of U.S. adults prayed daily. It's like, I'm not trying to be too dour or depress you here because there's, there's something on the back end of this that I want us all to pay attention to. I'll give you one last one. The American Bible Society released a report in April finding that scripture engagement is at a historic low. Scripture engagement is defined as consistent interaction with the Bible that shapes a person's choices and transforms their relationship with God, self, and others. That's scripture engagement. 19% of American adults would fall into that category. So I'll say something that probably is now obvious that's been said before, but the church is in decline. This is super uplifting, Eric. We're so glad we came today. <laughs> Wait, I'm getting there. The church is in decline and dads, I'm speaking just to dads now. This is for everybody, but it's just dads. The church is in decline. What are we doing about it? Like, what are we going to do about it, guys? Is it lulling you to sleep or is it causing you to stand up and say, I'm not going to just let that happen? I'm not actually going to participate in the decline of the church? 
That's what I want to charge us with this morning because back to our Thessalonians, like how did they do it? How did they maintain this extraordinary strength of faith in the midst of so much trouble? Because we are battling an enemy that is literally, you see the statistics, it is trying to just break us down. And why I'm painting such a grim picture is because I want us to stand up as Monument Church, guys. And it's not just the men who will lead. Actually, we have incredible women leadership, female leadership in this church. But because it's Father's Day, I'm talking to the guys, and I want to call you out to lead your families into community, into the Word of God, and into prayer. Because those things are under extraordinary threat right now. I want to continue to fight the tempter that seems so easily to be doing the work that we are desperate to stop. Isn't that true? I mean, I want to find ourselves, guys, on our knees, holding our kids and our wives in our hands and putting them before God so that we are fighting the good fight. You know what's amazing is Frances Yambach came this morning and she said, God has just been like shouting at me this whole week, fight the good fight. That is what I think we are in danger as the church in America of just stopping doing is fighting the good fight. And I want to call the men of Monument to fight the good fight. If it's true that the church is in a state of emergency, what do we do? Check out? Withdraw? Fall back? Give up? Surrender? Relent? No. God is calling every single man I'll say today on Father's Day to actually battle these things that we are experiencing. We are taking hits, but we need to, as Francis says, fight the good fight. I said, no surprise, Francis, that's what I'm preaching about today. That's the word that she came with. So how did they do it? How did the Thessalonians do it? How did they maintain under the kind of circumstances that actually we aren't even facing? You know how I think they did it? I think they worked at it. Guys, can I call us to get to work on this? Now we know that actually the work of salvation was done on the cross and there's nothing we can do to earn favor or a place in heaven with God in eternity. We can't. But you know there's still work that we have to do? I love this incredible passage. Actually, uh, we'll get to it in just a moment. But in John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. The people are amazed and they say to him, how do we do the good works of God? Let's go look at it. John 6, all of the people who are following said, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And you think, but doesn't belief just kind of come automatically? No, actually, I think God is calling us to work in this way, to believe. Because the strength of the faith of the Thessalonians did not waver. And it's not just that they sat there on autopilot. They pushed in. They invested. They came to the party. They said, we're in a state of emergency and we're not going to stand for it. I think Monument Church is actually thriving. Somebody said recently, man, is the church growing? 
the church overall is in massive decline. And yet, Monument is standing strong. There are many reasons we should not be, but God is with us, and I want to call all of us to continue to stand strong together. Because He is doing something powerful in this church. Now, we often wonder, what does that even look like? One of my favorite dad stories is what my, my dad and, and my brother, we went, to, uh, went on a fishing trip when I was a kid. And my dad grew up on the Upper East Side of New York City. The outdoorsman he was not, okay? But we lived in Minnesota and you fish in Minnesota. We have 10,000 lakes and so you fish. And we once hooked into a big northern pike. Anybody know what a northern pike is? So yeah, all right, so you've been fishing. It's a good-sized fish, and we hooked into it so bad, getting the hook out, we actually killed it. Which, for an outdoorsman, you don't want that. You either want to eat that thing or you want to throw it back. But, unfortunately, it died. And we had to wrestle it for like an hour. And we were young kids, and my dad was like, all right, well, we have to get rid of it. I don't think we can just put it in the water. My dad had no idea what to do. But we had this stinky fish in the boat, so we had this idea to actually drive up close to the shore, and dad was gonna take the thing and just kind of chuck it onto like an island. So we drive up close to the shore, and dad's sitting there holding this big fish, Here's a little aside. When you're wrestling a fish on the floor of the bottom of the boat for an hour, a lot of slime gets on the bottom of the boat. It's pretty gross, actually, and guts and all that kind of stuff. So we get close to the shore, and you know where this is headed. Dad gives it a big chuck, this New Yorker, and he just goes, whoom, and he just, his feet come out from under him, and he hits the bottom of the boat, and this fish just goes flying onto this island, and he nailed it. Dad saved the day, even though he had no clue what he was doing. You know what he did? He just applied himself with everything he had. God bless him. And I think it's a bit of a picture. We don't always know what we're doing, but we know we can do the very simple things. Guys, there's a stinky fish in the boat. There's a dead stinky fish in the boat, and actually dad's got to chuck it out. And we might not know exactly how to do it, and the floor might be slimy, but actually the tempter. There's demonic meddling that is going on in Monument Church that I feel we've seen beaten back quite a bit through prayer and encouragement and banding together. And we don't even know how all of this works, as I talked about it last week. But I want to call the dads to rise up and stand on the wall of the battle of the state of emergency. Because yes. we don't have to let that depress us. We don't have to let that discourage us. We can actually do what we've been called to do, which is take up arms on behalf of our families, on behalf of our wives, our kids, and on behalf of this church to do battle as we were created for. But we need to believe. We need to give ourselves to the work of belief. We don't have to save ourselves. We don't have to work for God's favor. But we actually have to stir the gift of God inside of us. We have to apply ourselves intentionally to believe. And that, I think, is going to be the thing that truly makes the difference between 
a future that the tempter would have and the future that God would have. I believe he's sovereign, but somehow there's meddling that can get in the way. Actually, as we close, I want to call up Pat for just a, a few last minutes of, of wisdom. Because as we got together that Tuesday night last week, Pat came up with, I think, what was just a, a word for our church. And um, so I'm just going to turn it over to him. I think it aligns right with this message. You can use a microphone. We want to hear you. Thank you. Our God is worthy of our all. Yeah. And because um, of Mike's dream, or Mike's vision, and Lisa's dream, I read through 2 uh, Chronicles again, because that was the scriptural basis for what they, they said they, their dreams and visions were. And in short, my takeaway were, was that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Mm. Some experience victory in life and others destruction and death. It all depended on one thing, and one thing was consistent as a battle was the Lord's. Yeah. And <clears throat> they all would face opposition, war, and threat of war. But God made it clear that the effect of the, uh, the opposition had on them was directly related to their spiritual disposition. Mm. And their spiritual disposition was directly affected by their, their uh, declaration of faith, and more so mm. by their resolution to walk out that faith daily. Yeah. And I kind of jumped straight to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and their response to the king's ultimatum, bow down and worship this gold idol or be thrown into fiery furnace. And I love their response. O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no... Uh, wait, okay. <laughs> o King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Mm. And yeah, he went on and said, our God will deliver us from that fiery furnace. Our God will deliver us from your hand. And even if he doesn't, we're not worshiping your lame gold idols. Yeah. And I think they kind of just dropped the mic. <laughs> but I mean, my thought was like, no, I mean, wouldn't you want to just discuss this amongst yourselves for a second? Like, I mean, this is a, but not for them. Their response was neither a statement of disrespect nor a decision made in the moment. The fact that no decision was, or no discussion was needed tells us that the response had been decided long before that day. Yeah, mm. that's good. These men didn't muster the faith and, faith and, and uh, you know, and hope that they could trust and honor God in that moment. But the fact is that their quick and automatic response was the result of their faithful and resolute devotion to live for God on an, on every day. Yeah. And anything that would diminish the glory of God was non-negotiable for them. And as far as they were concerned, it was to God to choose how they would use them in that situation. Yeah. And it was for God to choose how he would glorify them, glorify himself in that moment. And their actions reminded me of, which you're going to be talking about, Romans 8, Romans 8, 18 specifically. I consider our present suffering is not worthy to compare to the future glory to be revealed to us. Yeah, yeah it's the good. The steel, when they looked at it, here's the glory of God. Their suffering didn't even move the scale. It, yeah. it, there was no means to measure. The other thing that really moved me was that they stood 
um, resolute, not alone, but together. Mm. They responded in one voice with a single resolute answer without hesitation. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And it just made me consider for myself, for my household, and for us in our household, what does it look like to be resolute, to live our, our lives in such a way? What does it look Good. like for us as a church? Yeah. And what does it look like for everything we do and have influence and responsibility over? Yeah, it's good. So. It's good.